as we, we may start. Father, please, uh, this morning, as we see that you are the revealing God, the God who knows, understands, and reveals, please, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us through this wonderful, wonderful chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, uh, but to me, the world feels very uncertain right now. You look at the news. In North Korea launching uh, most powerful missiles that they've done for a number of years. Russia potentially invading Ukraine. The US increasingly fractured. All kinds of problems that are going on in our country. And that is even before you mention COVID. The world seems very uncertain. What's going to happen in the future? What's the solution to these problems? No one knows. No one knows. Yeah, you can ask the best econo- uh, economists, the best health experts, the, be- the politicians past and present. Yeah, no one knows. Well, maybe actually just talking about world events like that, that's kind of too much for you to even begin to start thinking about at the moment because of stuff going on in your life. The huge uncertainty that there is there. There are so many things that can go wrong in our lives, so much stuff happening. Well, what do we do? What's going to happen in the future? Where do we turn? Well, you know, many millions of people, to some degree or another, you might turn, for example, to horoscopes or something. Okay, we, we think might might do better. We, we'd ask wise Christians, uh, wise um, friends, sorry, um, for, for advice. We might go to a life coach. You might kind of sit down and plan as best as you can, but, but, but no one knows. In all this uncertainty, where, where do we turn? What, what do we do? I think Daniel chapter 2 is going to help us in that Whenever we come to a Bible passage, we are trying to understand what is the big idea, what is the main message of the chapter. And the authors can use a number of techniques to really show us what that is, Um, though it's not always easy. But I want to say in chapter 2 of Daniel, I think actually getting the big gist of the chapter is pretty easy. Or at least once you've seen it, you'll you'll see it everywhere. But but Daniel chapter... Uh, to 20 to 23, the bit that Ray read, they contain the message for us. Okay, today, if uh, this was being written, verses 20 to 23, they would have been written in bold, italics, underline, and capital letters, and maybe in red. I hate it when people do that in emails. Like, okay, just do one of them. But that's what it would have been. Here is all the attention is drawn to it. So the structure of the whole chapter is like a big sandwich. And these are the middle bits. And also, there's a change in style. So we go from, for you English people, uh, English language people, from prose to poetry. You can just see it if you look at your Bible. You see how it's written, presented differently. All the attention is drawn to these verses. These verses where Daniel is blessing, praising God. And the contents of this, pra- of this praise reveals to us the, the key message of Daniel. And it is that, as you'll see on your handout, these two points, God alone knows and reveals, and God's kingdom alone will last. Let's just just see that just from these middle verses. God alone knows and reveals. So verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might 
Just skipping the first couple of lines of verse 21. Then he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. God alone knows and reveals. And God's kingdom alone will last. And that's just hinted at here. But that's at the beginning of verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. These are our two points. And I'd love you to enjoy this story as we go through it together. Now, if you're taking notes, it's not, we're not just going to work through the points. We're going to jump a little bit. Um, but what we will do is at the end, come back together and just summarize and, and think about how they apply to us. Uh, as we go, I, I think I will probably read the whole chapter. But let's get it, it stuck into it. Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Slightly ironic this. Nebuchadnezzar, the most, probably the most important and powerful man in the world, can't control his own sleep. He has these dreams. I think it's probably likely it's actually kind of a recurring dream that he has again and again. And Nebuchadnezzar, as we will see, is a deeply religious man. And he was, came from a culture that believed that the, the gods communicated with the people through dreams and visions. And so he calls up his religious kind of advisors to tell him about these dreams. Verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then in verse 4, we get a switch, um, and actually a switch in language. So from here through to Daniel chapter 7, we sw- switch from Hebrew to Aramaic. People kind of wonder why that is. Uh, to me, I think the most plausible explanation is that particularly chapters 1 and then chapters 8 to the end, particularly they are um, written to God's people. So remember that Daniel to encourage them. Whereas Daniel chapter 2 to 7 are this message for the world. Now, we don't want to take that too far. It is all for everyone. But I think that's probably the most uh, kind of likely explanation for why. But let's have a look at them in verse 4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. Seems like a pretty reasonable request, doesn't it? You tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream... And its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That's the the stick, the carrot, verse 6. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. You kind of imagine these religious guys kind of, (laughs) yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So they say... Uh, they answered a second time, said, well, let, let, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. 
But Nebuchadnezzar is not the most understanding or patient of guys. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. All right, carrot's gone. It is all stick. Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is too difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. King, what you're asking simply isn't possible. And actually, it is a profound and accurate theological statement. They are right in what they say. But the king's unease turns to fury, verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men in Babylon be destroyed. And just think back to the kind of first Jewish readers um, who would have been reading this and they've been like probably chuckling away to themselves. <laughs> Stupid king. What's he asking? You're going to kill, kill them all. Uh, good riddance for getting rid of all those frauds and pagan worshippers. But uh oh, verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel and his friends who we met last week, people who resolved to, um, to uh, not be totally assimilated into culture, that it didn't withdraw, but they held their line and said, no, we're going to stay faithful to God. And now even the fact they weren't in the room isn't going to keep them safe from the king's anger. The situation is perilous. The king has asked something which is impossible that no one on earth could do. But finally, we do get some calm and sense. Verse 14, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. It's quite a remarkable thing to do. Daniel doesn't know the, the dream, let alone, well, he doesn't know what it means, let alone what it actually was. But do you remember, maybe you just want to flick back to uh, chapter 1, verse 17. As for the four years, God gave, that key phrase, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God has been preparing Daniel, his servant, for this. And so boldly he goes to the, and says, look, set a time, give me some time, and I will reveal it to you. Or it will be revealed to you. Verse 17. Then Daniel not knowing what this dream was, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and he prayed as we've already looked at. They pray to God. God answers their prayer. God reveals the dream and its interpretation. And so Daniel praises God. Have a look uh, back down to verse 24 now as we pick up after his prayer of praise. Then Daniel went before um, uh, Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring uh, Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Okay, he says interpretation. So you can kind of imagine Nebuchadnezzar's kind of impatience, wearing a bit thin. Look, the other guys could, said that they could... Ooh. The other guys, if you were asleep, that brings you back, doesn't it? Um, uh, they said, look, the other guys said that they, we can give you the interpretation, but what about the dream itself? Verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Verse 27, Daniel answered, yes, I am. No, he doesn't say that. No, he again credits God and at some length. 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he had made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on the bed are these. To you, O king, as you, um, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries had made known to you what is to be. But as for me, the mis- this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your minds. At length, Daniel says again and again, God has revealed it to to you. God has revealed the dream to you. He's revealed the the dream, the interpretation to me. And he started to hint at what um, is going to come in the explanation of the dream. And so Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream. And if you're kind of a visual person, kind of see it represented here. But verse 31, you saw, O king, and so here is Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar what the dream he had. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream that he had. And now for the interpretation, verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. 
You, O King, the King of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, them all. You are the head of gold. Hey, you preach after that, right? You're the gold one. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after that. Hey, you seem feeling better. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and, and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you, as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, uh, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay." Traditionally, uh, these, these uh, four kingdoms have been identified as the, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Gre- uh, Greece, Greek, and uh, kind of Alexander the Great, and then Rome. They, they, that's what, how they've been traditionally understood, and I think there's some pretty good grounds to suggest that. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter whether you identify them with any particular one or not. It's what comes next that is important. Verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver and gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Here is the big meaning of the dream. Here is the big message that God is telling to Nebuchadnezzar, and indeed to the world. There is a stone that's cut out not by human hands. That is, it's not human um, design or human effort. This is God at work. And this stone comes and it smashes to pieces this statue and they all crumble and it turn to dust. And then this stone gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes this mountain that fills the whole earth. God of heaven, as he's referred to throughout this chapter, the God of heaven is, setting up a, is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This kingdom won't be, and its people won't be passed on to anyone else. This is the eternal kingdom. And we pick up again in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And the chief 
prefects uh, over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's courts. Look with me again at the second half, verse 47. Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Yeah, just imagine that. The one who had ordered the executions of Daniel and his friends and all the others, now falling down on his face before him. And again, think about what it would have been like for those early Jewish readers to hear that their, con- their, their conquering foe now bows down before one of their own. Well, let's step back now and let's try and look at these two points, very briefly summarizing and thinking about how it applies to us. We are hit. The first point is that God alone knows and reveals. We are hit with it again and again and again and again and again through this chapter. We saw that it comes right in the center of the, the, the chapter. It comes in the words that are repeatedly used. So the word reveal is used six times. The word show is used ten times. The, the word make known is used ten times. And another seven t- times other words which are to do with declaring. God is the one who knows and reveals. And then all of the main characters tell us this. So the religious crew back in verse 11. Uh, they, um, back in verse 11, say that uh, the, ki- the thing the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So the religious leaders tell us that. Daniel tells us that verse 27. When Daniel answered the king and said, Look, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And then Nebuchadnezzar himself, as we saw in verse 47, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. We cannot miss the point that comes through. God alone knows and God alone reveals. And he wants the world to know that. He wants the world to know that paganism, whatever that looks like, whether that is horoscopes or some form of spirituality or other religions, they are impotent. We're meant to see this almost um, this chapter, and indeed the, the remaining chapters, this bit of a kind of conflict between the, the God of heaven, the God of, the, of Israel, uh, and uh, all the rest. No, they're impotent in this. And life, as, as one commentator said, that life is a dead end street without a God who knows and reveals what is to come. And yet, this is where most people are. No idea about the future, no idea about where life is heading. Whereas God's people can walk confidently into the future knowing that we do have a God who does know and who does reveal. He, as we see in the, the words in the middle, he knows the, the, in verse 27 the, the hidden things. God knows them the, the, and the dark places. He reveals these things. And yes, he doesn't reveal to us all the intricacies of life. 
Okay, we, we don't know all the, the kind of personal things. We don't just, right, I know how my future is going to be mapped out. But he tells us the big picture, the important things that we need to know. He tells us where this world is heading. And that is why we can look at these global events, which seem to be so big and so worrisome, and yet we can look at them and not be shaken. This is why we can deal with personal crises without being derailed. Because God knows, and he reveals the big picture. And that's what he does in this vision. So secondly, this God's kingdom alone will last. You see back in verse 4, actually, the, the irony of, of um, the religious um, advisor's opening words. O king, live forever. No, the only forever is verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And what else is forever? Verse 44, in the, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Again, think of those Jews in Babylon hearing of these events. Or the first readers of, of this book who were back from Babylon but still very much um, uh, under control of, of, of pagan nations and pressed by them. Well, what hope, was, what hope there is for them in this to know that actually these mighty nations that were oppressing them won't last forever. But there is this eternal kingdom that was to come. Now we live on the other side of this kingdom coming. Indeed, some 600 years later, an angel would appear to a teenage girl, Mary, and she would say these words, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And then when he burst onto the scene, some 30 years after that, he came declaring, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, but the first time when Jesus came, he came to establish the kingdom. But as he did that, he didn't at that stage remove every earthly kingdom. So the Romans were very much still in charge. And indeed, a few years after that, the Romans were to crucify Jesus. And to all intents and purposes, it looked like Jesus' kingdom was coming to a very sudden and abrupt stop. The king was being killed. But no, his death established the kingdom. His, his death did everything that was necessary to bring people into this kingdom. And then three days later, he rose again and ascended into heaven where he is now ruling and reigning over everything. He is on his kingdom, on his throne, king of the kingdom that will last forever. His kingdom is the one that will last it's estimated something like 100 million Christians are persecuted across the world today. I mean, take that with a slight pinch of salt, but 100 million Christians being persecuted across worldwide. 
Think what comfort this is to them to know that there is a kingdom that laughed and it's last, and it's not their oppressors at that time, at this moment, but it's Jesus' kingdom of which they are part. Now, we might not feel that as sharply and keenly in this country, we don't. But as life in, in Babylon, in the world that we're living, does get increasingly pressured and hostile, what great comfort to know that it is God's kingdom, the Jesus on the throne, that will last forever. And equally, I just want to finish by saying, what kingdom are you living for? If these kingdoms of the earth, as mighty and powerful as these, won't last, well, what on earth about the little kingdoms that we like to try and build up for ourselves, with ourselves as the little kind of self-sovereigns? No, there is only one kingdom that will last. It is interesting that at this stage, I find Nebuchadnezzar's response interesting. It looks very amazing. In one sense, it is. Like he's bowing down. But what he noticed, what he picks up on is, hey, Daniel, your God is able to reveal. that You have revealed this to me, and I'm bowing down to you, Daniel. He doesn't get it. Not yet, certainly. He doesn't get it. He's excited that there is somebody who can reveal the future to him. But at this stage, he makes no sign of change at a result of that future. There's a danger that, actually, yes, it would be great to know all these things, but we don't respond. That personal response of bowing and submitting to King Jesus is necessary. Live for his kingdom. That is the one that will last. Let's pray. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. You change times and seasons. You remove kings and set them up. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You reveal deep and hidden things. You know what is in the darkness and the light dwells with you. You, O gods, we give thanks and praise for you gave this wisdom to Daniel that we all might know the future and what is to come. Please help us to respond to this rightly. In Jesus' name, amen.